This is Stephanie. And this is Brian. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of our podcast, The Making and the Remaking of a Codependent Mind. This season is about discussing the various things I've done and continue to do to heal from the trauma and reprogram all these various behaviors, like the codependency that we talked about in the first season. The things we're going to explore the next few episodes aren't in any kind of chronological order. Mm -hmm. Again, this isn't a program for how you remake a codependent mind. We didn't discover all these things beforehand, but these are the major themes that emerged. Right. The takeaway is it really has not been an easy process for either one of us. It was a lot of times haphazard with these kind of false starts or going down the wrong roads partially and having to course correct. And all that said, I mean, an urgent thing that I had to start being able to do was to learn to start incorporating my emotions, finally, to, to recognize what they are, how to use them properly. I just wasn't doing that for most of my life, and it was pretty much at the root of what was keeping me stuck with all these problems. And it was equally important to be able to recognize the source of your trauma and the effects that it had, one of which, a huge one, was this emotional disconnect and de deregulation. Yeah, so th those two really go hand in hand. Yeah, I kind of had to address them both simultaneously. And as we covered extensively in the first season, the source of that trauma was originally this abusive friendship, childhood friendship, mm -hmm. with a boy we called G. Although that trauma got compounded through your life, particularly in these adult relationships you had with two women, one R and one J. Right. But that original abuse and trauma interrupted your emotional development. When we talked about in the last season, there this idea of personal agency where I kind of gave over my personal agency, really take it even a step deeper than that. I gave up my emotional agency. So I, it didn't feel safe for me to express things with G like anger and sadness and things like that. So I immediately just kind of started deferring to him. Just tell me what I was supposed to be feeling, more or less. Right. So you felt unsafe to do any kind of emotional processing yourself. So you kind of outsourced that yeah. to him, which he, in, in fact, demanded and attempted to violently enforce. You were supposed to yeah. be feeling the same thing mm -hmm. that he was feeling. For instance, the, the story you told about when he had lost his favorite toy, mm -hmm. forcing you to bury your favorite toy. To lose my favorite toy, basically. Yeah, right. Yes. And if he was angry, angry at someone, you had to be angry at someone. Mm -hmm. If he was happy about something, you were supposed to be happy about something. You were not really even supposed to be happy independent of him. Yeah, that's true. So if you came up with an idea or were finding pleasure in an activity that he wasn't involved with. I believe we mentioned earlier that shame and fear kind of attached themselves because it's kind of, those are kind of binding emotions. They attach themselves mostly to the negative or what I saw as the bad emotions, anger, sadness, because I didn't want to experience in those because it, it was just too, it made me too afraid to experience those because I knew it couldn't act on them more mm -hmm. or less. But this kind of affected all of my emotions. So even my happy ones, since I always had this kind of lingering feeling of fear, it was like all my emotions were wrapped up in this one kind of messy ball. And so there were plenty of times where, you know, I could experience pleasurable emotions and act on them and, and have a good day or whatever. But somehow this stuff was always kind of lurking there. And, and it was really easy for me, my brain to just kind of go down the wrong path. You know, it didn't take much for it to enter dangerous territory. And then suddenly I'm triggered and there goes the pleasurable feelings, you know? Mm -hmm. So hence this idea of big picture, it was just too hard for me to incorporate codependency is a spectrum 
mine went as deep as my emotions. So it wasn't just simply I felt the need to caretake these people. I felt the need to mirror them. Mm -hmm. I had to match their emotion. I've read about the work of a neuroscientist, Antonio Damasio, who did some early work on the role that emotions play in decision making. Mm -hmm. He challenges this traditional conception of decision making as driven by irrational faculties. Mm -hmm. And he did that by studying people who had suffered traumatic brain injuries that essentially severed their emotional structures from their rational faculties so that the rational part of their mind couldn't access their emotional architecture. Couldn't incorporate the two, yeah. So the theory would have been, well, these people are going to be great decision makers because it's unclouded by emotions. Yeah. And what it turned out is they were terrible decision makers. Mm-hmm. They couldn't, in fact, they couldn't even, they were paralyzed. Yeah. Um, he describes, you know, one person is not even being able to make a decision about where to go for dinner. So highlighting how critical our emotional infrastructure is yeah. to making decisions about our lives. Yeah. And this, is, I think, is part of what is so pernicious about emotional abuse that people don't recognize, is it severs your connection to yourself. I'm denying a huge chunk of what makes me me, more or less. Yes, and you're denied it because yeah. you're, you're made so that you cannot access that. And then, yeah. as you say, you can't have a big picture of your life. You can't. Mm-hmm. And this is some way was true of you. You couldn't really even make a decision where to go to dinner because he, right. unless someone was telling you, it had there was to be all based this on anxiety them. about what to do with your life, yeah. who who to get in a relationship with, uh, you know, what path to take, yeah. because you you weren't able to access your own feelings, your own wants, and your own needs yeah. and your own desires right. to do so. Just kind of letting life kind of pull me around. <laughs> And unfortunately, the consequences of being denied this emotional agency, mm-hmm. which I think is a, is a nice term, yeah. is not only that it made it very difficult for you to find pleasure or satisfaction in your life on your own terms, it also unfortunately led to more shame. Yeah. Because right. you would often attach yourself to people, again, these disordered people who are more than happy to substitute their sense of reality, their yeah. sense of emotional yeah. truth for your own. And they were kind of shitty people <laughs> yeah right my emotions so you, were there too my emotions were giving me signals constantly but they just came out in the form of things like shame or depression and anxiety and things like that and mm-hmm. and i didn't want to feel those things so right I, so you wouldn't you would you would you would cut your those uh yeah. signals off yeah at, at the past it's like right. oh i'm feeling shame being attached to this person or doing this activity but I, yeah. I can't handle shame. I can't feel shame, so I can't receive that. And signal. then explode that out to things like anger and things like that. So, like, these people are abusing me, but I can't feel anger for it because that right. makes me feel shame and fear. You know? So, you need to reconnect those parts of yourself, your kind of conscious self and your emotional substructure. Yeah. Unbury it, sort of. Uncloud it. Mm-hmm. And we kind of divided that process up for you into three sections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first one being... That you needed to build your capacity to at least feel them. Yes. And we had a whole episode on shame in the first season. Yeah, how crippling it is. How painful it is. So that was a a big one. You need to build some capacity to be able to feel shame and and not be completely debilitating. Yeah, and move through it. Such that you just immediately compartmentalize it. Yeah, and when I think about shame for me... um, I know there's a lot of imagery that people have about it, thoughts of I'm not good enough or I'm not lovable and things like that. I think that can be accurate for some people. For me, it wasn't that conscious. Like I wasn't having these thoughts, so I'm not good enough and things like that. It was more like a 
just below the surface subconscious feeling of shame. Mm -hmm. But it was right there. It was right there, ready to go at any moment. And it was very easily triggered, but mostly by other people, Mm -hmm. either by abuse, but not even abuse, just it would just get triggered because it was right there, ready to go. I mean, and it was very thick and, and very heavy. So even when you started to feel safe mm-hmm. in in our relationship, your shame was still being triggered. Yeah, because I hadn't done any work yet. Like I hadn't figured any of this stuff out. I haven't hadn't healed from my trauma. I didn't even know about my trauma really. So yeah, conversations we would have would just easily trigger this shame, and then I would go into freeze mode. <laughs> and then what would happen in freeze mode in our situation was just really confusing and sometimes crappy behavior and shame venting and and the like the type of stuff we talked about in the shame episode or sometimes it would literally look like you were frozen yeah right so we would be having a conversation that i would recognize was difficult yeah you know an intimate conversation about either our relationship something happened in it or you know your previous relationships me trying to understand yeah what those were about and you would freeze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, physically. Yes. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll describe a little bit what that feels like for someone because I've, I've described it to you before and you're like, oh, I don't think I've felt that before. So right. this is for me what freeze felt like. It would be this overwhelming buildup of undirected thoughts. I'm bringing in the past. I'm bringing in the future. Uh, uh, like I can't to sort ma- this all trying out. Trying to manage the present. It's like a cognitive dissonance overload. Basically, my brain reaches this kind of overload point and then shuts down. And now I'm just kind of mostly all I can do is just stare. I'm like staring at the ground or yep. something. And I'm not, I, I want to think so badly. So, oh my God, I got to say something. I got to <laughs> say something here, but I can't. And I can barely even think I want to say something here. It's just like static. It's like a TV that has been disconnected, and that's kind of how it feels and sounds in my head. Hello, this is Brian. I wanted to let you know that I wrote a book based on the first two seasons of this podcast, and it's now available on Amazon. It represents my most current thinking on both the origins of my codependency and the healing process. I think it's a good companion to the podcast. Um, So if you're someone who also likes to read as well as listen, uh, you might want to check it out. The link is in the show notes. The term flooding, too, you hear about. You're Mm -hmm. just kind of being emotionally flooded. You're just overwhelmed, and so you shut down. Yeah. Um, I didn't really... took me a long time. I didn't really know what was going on. It just seemed to me... Well, neither did I. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It seemed to me you kind of just like checking out, but I totally remember your freeze face. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I I see it very rarely. Like kind of like... Like I was kind of scared look on my face a little bit, right? right? Yeah, mm-hmm. just like kind of staring with wide eyes or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The the difference though with this freeze experience that I had with you was that at my core I could I felt safe even though I didn't know this was what I was experiencing freeze shame all this mm-hmm. stuff trauma triggers I felt safe and so it felt like I was where I needed to be I, and who with the person I needed to be with like so this is uncomfortable this is making me feel really crappy but it's okay. Like, I need to feel this for some reason. I feel like this is necessary Mm -hmm. because what you're saying is correct, you know, and these are things that I would like to know about. So you did start to sit with it. Yeah. Not deflect, not actually run away. I mean, it wasn't always perfect with that. You know, there were times where freeze generated a terrible response, but it took a lot of practice, basically. Like, I knew that I needed to sit with this. There were several occasions where I was like, no, what I need to do is just like empathize. I need to sit here. I need to listen to what you're saying and to the extent just that you feel could. this. Right. 
Yeah. So that was the, I think, the kind of capacity building where you just started. Yeah. Even though you were flooded or mm. overwhelmed or frozen, all of these physical metaphors, you sat with it enough to begin to thaw out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or if it's flooding, good, you got back right. up on your feet. You know, yeah. you know, you just help, you, you didn't let yourself completely get swept away by yeah. this. And then as you did that repeatedly, you, you seem to start to be, to build the capacity to, yeah. to handle that feeling. A Again and again, I came out on the other side of it. Okay. You know, not only okay, though, usually it, it led to something. It led to something good, like some kind of realization, some kind of growth. There was always this kind of almost measurable progress each time I did sit through one, one of those kind of experiences. And, and it helped us in our relationship, too. Absolutely. And we eventually got in this rhythm of really kind of daily yeah. reflections and conversations. I mean, that was really tough for me for a long time. I was... Mm -hmm. I really like to write. I like to process things. I'll talk about this more in the rewriting stories, which is the next episode. But I really like to sit and write when I think about this stuff. It kind of, because all of this is forensic for me. Like I have to go back and re-experience things, re-experience my emotions, reconnect things. And so for me, writing makes that easier. So I'd be writing, but a lot of times I'd almost a little kind of hide behind the writing a little bit. It's like, well, you want to talk about that? Well, let me just finish writing about it first, <laughs> and then you can read what I wrote or something, you know? Right. Uh, so it was hard for me to bring up conversations just because I, I could sense that I was going to feel shame again because and, and, and that I didn't want to feel that. It's but a then, terrible you know, feeling. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, it's like, well, no, we have to we have to do this. I have to be able to do this. That's the capacity building, you know? Yeah. It, it is hard. Uh to do the thing that makes you scared and gives you pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you kept hanging in there and there was measurable progress. And one story that demonstrates that progress is what we call the headdress incident. The headdress <laughs> so why don't we tell that story? Not to shame you, sure, <laughs> but to demonstrate how that work that you did in building your capacity to feel painful emotions mainly shame, mm -hmm. actually paid off Yeah. Okay. over time. And you had a lot of shame for things that you didn't need to feel ashamed about. We've mentioned a number of times how being the recipient of abuse can yeah. cause shame. Yeah. That's not shame that's appropriate. Right, uh, yeah. It's that's not, not shame that's feeling. useful. Yeah. Uh, that's not shame that's actually connected to the real world. Mm -hmm. The headdress incident, unfortunately, does involve shameful behavior appropriate, on your shame. <laughs> appropriate shame so i think it's a good example in that way is because we do need to be able to feel shame yeah so how it came up was you told me about this incident a number of times looking back it seems like you were shame venting yes yes for sure but you brought it up a number of times and the way you brought it up was and i don't you know i don't remember the particular contexts in which it came up um but you brought it up how you and Jay went to a 4th of July party and wore Native American headdresses, mm -hmm. thinking that you were expressing respect for the original Americans, I yeah. think as you called it. Right. And that afterwards, some guy kind of ripped into you guys. Mm -hmm. and On Facebook. On Facebook, and it made you feel super bad. And yeah, you know, I was like, yeah, that's shitty. I don't like, you know, people looking to catch people out in, in yeah. you know, making a mistake. You know, if you made an honest mistake, you know, why are you being kind of publicly called out on it? But, you know, again, it came up a number of times. Yeah, I kept venting it. You kept venting it. So eventually I was like, hmm, I wonder what, like, what's actually going on with this. 
And I went and I saw the pictures. Yeah. There were some pictures of of the two of you. And uh, the next time we got together, I told you that I had seen these pictures. I don't think you even knew that they existed or yeah. you, you had or, buried, or I buried it. I think I buried the memory of that <laughs> And existed, yeah. I think I started the conversation by, by saying, they're bad. Mm-hmm. Like if you ever wanted to run for office, these would really be a problem. Yeah. And because the pictures were not of people who mistakenly wore a respectful Native American hairdress, not knowing that that was actually offensive mm-hmm. to Native Americans. The picture was the two of you dressed up like Indians. Yeah, right. I mean, even without the headdress, it was totally disrespectful. Yeah, well, and it like mixed the, other really lame elements with it, too, that had nothing to do with Right, yeah, so the headdresses. Looked like you bought them from the dollar store. Yeah. Jay was wearing these little British underwear, hot pants, and she had face paint on. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe both of you had little like ribbons around your arms or something. It, Jay in particular looked like a clown. Mm-hmm. There was no way that this looked like. Respectable. Oh, it was, you know, <laughs> an attempt. A respectful respect. attempt to honor Native Americans. Yeah. It, it looked like a narcissist yeah. wanting to make a point about how cool she is. Oh, you were all celebrating the 4th of July, but, you know, mm-hmm. the Indians were here first, right, but like right, knowing right. nothing about well, Native the, American culture. And Yeah, there was also, we were signs on our back, taped to our back, that said, honor Native treaty rights. Right. And you know, as if it was I'm some sure kind of. Neither of you could. Name a treaty, <laughs> right? That was made with, the and name neither one of us actually did anything for these this cause. Yeah, so it was, it was a really it was a bad picture. It's awful. And I was expressing this to you, and you started by, oh, it was Jay's idea. I didn't really yeah, want to go right, along with sure. it, but yeah, uh, you know, the old you, lack of agency deflection right. mm-hmm. that I did. Yeah, and I pushed through that is because you're right there in, in color photo. Yeah. And because it was also, it was, you weren't recognizing what a hurtful thing that was. You were just like, oh, well, Jay did it. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't even into it. And mm-hmm. looking back again, you were getting your freeze face on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And, yep. you know, I was trying to do both. I was trying to, like, reassure you. I'm not saying you're a terrible person, which is the shame response, right? I yeah. wasn't trying to cast you out of society. I was just wanted some acknowledgement that, what you did yeah do you understand why it's so yes. so so hurtful and, well and you also tried to say well you know the guy that called us out he wasn't even native american and i was trying not to do the whole cancel culture you're a terrible person because you did this one terrible thing yeah but also trying to get from you some recognition of mm-hmm. you understood why this was bad yeah and but you were flooded or I was frozen. having a really hard time with that. It just yeah. because, yeah, I was feeling shame. I was in, like, yes, this is right. In fact, I remember you saying, I don't know what to do with these feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Do you remember that? Uh-huh. I do remember that. So, but then we went into a social situation and you, I guess, d- did what you would always do is you compartmentalized yeah. it and it went in a box and yeah. it didn't come up again. Yeah. Until... Couple months later, I think I was reminded of it by something I read online, and I was starting to feel a little bit bad that I hadn't pushed a little more for some sort of acknowledgement from you that this was hurtful and racist behavior. Well, I didn't really do work in those earlier days, right? So right. we'd have a conversation, and I'd be like, "I'd like 
it if you spend some time thinking about this and uh no. as soon as we yeah. went our separate ways no Compartment, compartment, put yeah. in the compartment. I'm not going to. And, you know, so, and I was kind of actually starting to feel a little ashamed myself, you mm-hmm. know, thinking like, well, what, how would I feel if like my friends saw this and, yeah. and they'd be, how are you going out with this guy who acts right. like this? And then, right. and then, so I was like, and how did he not only do this, but be married to someone? Mm-hmm. So I called you up and said, I'd like to have a further conversation about this. Yeah. And then I went and read the Facebook uh-huh. posts the that you were, and those were terrible. Very terrible. Those are very terrible. So the, the person that you had described as kind of ripping into you Shaming and Jay, yeah, right. Yeah. His post was perfectly they reasonable. Very it was, respectful, yeah, actually. it was just kind of, Hey, can it was to the venue? Can you let people know that this is not okay? And that yeah. it's, it's offensive. And, um, you know, of course, then you got the, the regular pilers on, Oh, how can you be offended? Yeah. Um, but problematically, one of those people was Jay. Yeah. So she immediately went Jay, right into defending herself and defending us. Absolutely. And with terrible languages, which mm-hmm. I, I have to read because it's it's so bad. Well, you know, we did mention this in the first season where she had this weird online presence where she was constantly battling with people. Right. And then she yes. probably wound up blocking every single person on this thread. <laughs> probably. No doubt. So she says... Dear all Native Americans, <laughs> as if they're all the same, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's just going to address them as a block. As I understand it, it is offensive to some of you when the white man tries to dress in your traditional clothing and headdress. However, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. She's just, now she's right, going to say right. why However, they're, they're wrong but. to be offended. Today, an event calls for us to dress in our best American spirit. I can't think of a better way to honor you, the original American, the Native American, and dress as my best American spirit. My intentions are out of compassion, love, and respect, and I only hope everyone will see this. Mm-hmm. Of course, not only I hope everyone, I demand that everyone right, right, recognize exactly. how... So, and yeah. people didn't, or, you know, and it wasn't terrible still, like, but people are saying, it didn't matter your intent. Yeah, this, right. This is offensive, and by yes. the way... Uh, you know, we're not original Americans. Right. <laughs> America, it was not a thing. America was not a thing. Anyway, so this doesn't make her happy, obviously, that yeah. she doesn't get so validated. She ratches it oh, up. Uh, uh, so she ratches it up. And and um, uh, she also says, adding the fact that my boyfriend, unfortunately you, is part Cherokee. Yeah. Which you are not. Well, <laughs> this is something that I thought I discovered from my genealogy research, and I had told her that at some point. Yeah, so I mean, like, oh, I'm not I'm saying that you don't, know. somewhere in your background, yeah. you don't have an ancestor who's a Cherokee, but yeah, you're not right. part Cherokee. No, no. <laughs> and that doesn't matter at yeah, all. Yeah, right. And she says, and my third great-grandmother is Choctaw. So, as, as it again. So, yeah. uh, people not tolerating that. So, then she yeah. goes into, I'm a 43 years old with a history of defending those to the minority. <laughs> Those that are going to be offended will be offended. I know dressing the way we did whilst supporting land treaty rights was out of compassion and love. To those who see any different, okay, your mind won't be changed. I wonder how people will dress for the upcoming tiki party. And then, she, then she's like, "I'm checking out. People are, you know, people yeah, are. Yeah, I'm done. Doesn't matter what I. Obviously, right. people just want to be offended, even though clearly I'm a 43 year old yeah. white woman who. So, so there was I, that terrible thing, right. and then. All the way down, almost at the very end, you weighed in. I finally in. weighed in, yeah. And mine was awful, too. So what I was experiencing throughout this day, right, was all the stuff we explained about trauma bonding and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I even, part of me already didn't like this situation. I didn't really like the way she was responding on this forum. But I was doing all the mental gymnastics I needed to do to make that okay and to align myself with her still. Like, oh, right. I, so 
ah, you know, if she's against this language and if she wants to defend it, I need to, too. So that's what was going on in my brain. And we talked about this in the first season. We just alluded to the fact that there were times when these people, J and R, abuse other people and I participated. This is an example. This is an example where I participated. So finally, I was just like, okay. And I weighed in and said some really offensive things. Like it basically made it clear that I was on her side, more or less, and that we didn't mean it, you know, this was... Well, you didn't actually take responsibility at all. Like, at least yeah. you, you, you pretended you were just weighing into this as a neutral this, party. Like, oh, yeah, I didn't even say it was me. Right, right you were, you right, were just right. kind of like, I, I can see yeah, both yeah. sides yes. sort of things. And, yeah, yeah. And, you know... Well, I said both sides are being offensive here or something Right, like and you that. put, like, yeah. white people in quotes yeah, as if you... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, it's, it was, it yeah, was it bad. Was, it was bad. Right. So, by the time we got together... To have this conversation, I was pretty upset mm-hmm. and, and angry and yeah. wanting answers to... And this might have been a time where it might have been easier to work through this with a therapist yeah, rather right. than someone because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had the emotional investment. And the question was, who am I in a relationship with? Am yeah. I in a relationship with this type of person mm-hmm. who would be married to this type of person? Mm-hmm. I had I was having my own cognitive dissonance because yeah, I had an un- my own understanding of you... And this did not fit. Yeah. And, and, and your relationship with Jay, even though we had had conversations, did not fit. Mm-hmm. The Jay was this person in your life. Yeah, yeah. Did not make sense with... And I couldn't explain it either. Right. And that this is the problem. So we'd, we'd have these discussions and, and I'd go into freeze modes because I'm like, yeah, I, I'm feeling shame. I know this was bad, but I don't know. I don't know why I was there. I, I didn't know about these things. And I don't know how to manage this emotion yeah. or what to do with it. Right. But th- there's a silver lining to this yeah. whole story. right. So how did you? Well, so I, I had the, the day after this conversation, I had a full day of just severe shame. I was just feeling really crappy. But I was kind of, I remember saying, I need to feel this, like this is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Even though I, you know, I didn't know it was shame. I didn't have any of this language we're talking about here on, on how, it's, how important it is to feel and process and emotions and things but part of me felt that this i need to feel this and then it was appropriate it wasn't and you understood yeah at least why you were feeling it yeah you understood it was because of your this behavior yeah and so i started taking some time and writing as i said writing down i went and pasted a bunch of the comments from the forum and and things like that and and from the exchange but like i said people were posting links here here's some here's a good write-up about why this is offensive it it was great there was a lot i read all that material and by the end i did my own write-up on to myself of yes wow this is how i wish i had responded to it at the time Mm -hmm. because this is the whole point of when people do call out this kind of thing the person the, the offender the hope is they go oh my god you're right yeah that was terrible i it doesn't represent who it, I am. Yeah, that doesn't line up with my values. You're right. I apologize. I don't, I vow to myself to not practice that behavior again. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of, it doesn't take much like to just show that, yes, I understand you're right. Mm-hmm. This, it's like making an amends. So I felt like I still needed to do one more little thing. At, at that point, it, it happened five years ago. It was a very old thread, but it still existed. First thing I did was remove my old comment. And then I wrote a new one and put it on there. Just And thinking maybe it would ping a couple of people that were on the thread. Just is is basically responding the way I wish I had responded at the time. And Which is just what you said, that, that, that they were right. Yeah. It didn't represent who you were. That you felt bad that they had to experience it. And, and then that... that and then I it, appreciated that they did what they did. That they... They took the time. Yeah, because that takes a lot of guts to do that publicly, mm-hmm. to, to call 
to say that this was hurtful behavior. Because there's a lot of people that shame people that do that. And there clearly were on this thread. Mm -hmm. One person said, I'm offended that you're offended and stuff like that. You know, right. Like if you snowflake or something, you know, exactly. Like crap. And that was scary for you to to make that post. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like kind of the cherry on top of this. Let, allowing myself to sit with and move through this feeling, you know, mm-hmm. and by the end I felt like, okay, this felt like an appropriate way to process this. And it still doesn't feel good. I mean, when we're no, talking about now, about <laughs> <it>. <laughs> you did it, but you demonstrated there, I think how far you had come mm-hmm. that you actually had done something shameful. It was public yeah. Yeah. and you were able not just to feel it. Yeah. You were able to process it. Yeah. And move past it in mm-hmm. a way that you didn't devastate you. It- mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't go, can't go back and change it, but now I fully understand it, and I have I can incorporate it. Mm-hmm. There was this period of capacity building, which did result in you being much better at sitting with your emotions mm-hmm. and at least feeling them and doing some processing of them. Yeah, but then the next phase became moving from capacity to understanding. Yeah, and this took a little while. I mean, we had a good maybe year there of these kind of exchanges where it was on the spectrum of of shame all the way up to freezes. I had still had plenty of freeze moments and I didn't understand what was going on. And one night we were having one of these discussions and I was having this freeze and something finally clicked. I was like, wait a second, what's happening here? Like, what, why am I feeling? I actually tuned into what I was feeling, like what was going what on in my body. Right. You know, like, I was like, oh, my chest is tight. Like, I'm, I'm sweating. I'm, you know, I was having anxiety. And this, one, this wouldn't have been an argument, feeling. or maybe not even a difficult conversation, but right. a, a conversation that's adjacent to yeah, <laughs> yeah. potential shame. Well, and so the, I moved very quickly through this process that I had never allowed myself to do before, which was first I acknowledged what was going on in my body. And I was like, oh, what is this? What am I feeling? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it's anxiety. Like, why am I feeling anxiety? So this is not, you know, I wasn't coming from a place of like learning what naming emotions was and recognizing trauma triggers mm-hmm. and all that. But I stumbled into it and and then just kind of accidentally did exactly that. I named my emotion. I <clears throat> looked for the source of it. Oh, it's because something made me feel crappy about myself this conversation somehow made me think of something that it was hard for me to handle why 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 is it making me feel that oh because i'm ashamed of that behavior i remember that i remember i don't like that i was that way or in the past when when someone asked me this type of question and they didn't get the right answer oh right i got sure abused and shamed yeah i mean there were other this exploded out I, i basically this was my first realization of a trauma trigger. Mm-hmm. I, I, we had talked about trauma. We had known about trauma this whole year that we we're talking about, but I didn't understand triggers. I didn't understand that I had them and what it meant and how it felt. Right. You know, that it basically took me over and, and suddenly I'm in this different state of mind and it's guiding me. And, and you're in a different place. Yeah. Different place. Now I'm back there. Was- right. And so when I had this realization, it went from conversations like this often ended with freeze. And then we had to kind of stop talking and then Maybe the next day we bring it up and and recover from it, but it would take at least 24 hours to recover from Mm -hmm. it. This one we recovered that evening, that, that sitting, because I went, Oh, well, am I actually experiencing what I'm feeling? Like, is, is this unsafe? Am I being attacked here? No, I'm not. Yeah. What am I afraid of? Yeah. What am I afraid of? I'm afraid of just remembering stuff. You know, I'm afraid of experiencing something that isn't even happening right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 
that's that was the first instance of that. And once I did figure that out, suddenly I was like, wow, it put into place a lot of different things that I was writing about because I was still at this point writing every day. And it like reframed a lot of things for me. And it gave me a new level of safety for conversations from there forward. You know, and I still get triggered. I mean, I still... But you understand what's happening. I understand what's happening. Like, I I know now exactly what it feels like. And sometimes it can be severe still, too. It's 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 going to happen. But I know what to do. And that understanding freed you up from, as you say, staying in a frozen state for mm-hmm. a long period of time because you could understand that the emotions were not connected to that state. Yeah. But it also freed you up to feel like you had the right to your own emotions. Yeah. To not be always trying to mirror or check in with the other person Mm -hmm. to determine what you're feeling because you could feel what you're feeling yourself and you could own that feeling. I think this kind of muddled emotion ball that I think that I mentioned earlier was still going. It was going all the way up until that happened because I still had this shame and fear attached to stuff. I, so, cause I didn't, I didn't know about that. And I had fear of conversations. I had, I had fear of intimacy and, and being vulnerable, more or less, kind of. And fear of not having the correct emotional response to yeah. someone else's emotions. Right. So, but once you understood that what was being triggered was past trauma and abuse, mm-hmm. you were able to allow yourself slowly to feel your own emotions. So, yeah. the one I'm thinking about. Most is anger, yeah. where you did not allow yourself to feel anger. Yeah, the best I could do was turn it into resentment. I really did not feel safe expressing anger. But you were able to re- start to recognize that you did not have to be afraid of your anger as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you in the past were in situations where expressing anger was dangerous. Yeah. It could have gotten you even physically abused, but certainly verbally and emotionally attacked yeah. if you had expressed anger. Right. And it did. In fact, you did try to express anger, and that's what and happened. And it went badly, right. It went badly, and it, it escalated. The other person became more violent. Yeah. You started to realize that suppressing your anger was a trauma trigger. Yeah. And that, that, that you could be angry with me, at me. Mm-hmm. You haven't yet. We're working on that. <laughs> <laughs> but you could be angry at other people and express that mm-hmm. anger. Yeah, so there's a particular incident, what kind of like the story we just told about shame that I feel is a pretty good example of latter days of me actually feeling anger coming on, sitting with it, identifying it, and figuring out that it was appropriate, mm-hmm. and then responding to it. Mm-hmm. Like, so I went through this whole process with, with, with the feeling of anger. Because a lot of times I can also remember up until this point having it start to bubble up and then, you know, immediately feeling unsafe and pushing it down. And this one came about um, from our conversations about the couples therapist that you went to with R. Mm. She's come up a couple of times because she's the one that in the initial session with the two of you, after you described R's behavior, Mm -hmm. said to R, you're being abusive. It sounds like you're being abusive to him. Right. But then... Shoving that under the rug. Shoving it under the rug. And in fact doing some pretty terrible things, validating R's story about you that you just needed to be more masculine. Right. And And, it was your fault. Some of the things that she did and said almost kind of amounted to shaming Mm -hmm. in in a way. When I look back and I recreate this, and I was like, wow, that was a terrible experience. It was was terrible. So, (laughs) But you had not allowed yourself to 
feel that. No, no. In fact, I you had, rewrote the story. You had friend. She friended you on Facebook. The I, therapist. I, and, I had a party and invited her to it. Right. So yeah. she came. So you had left her glowing review on Yelp, yeah. which was still out there. Right. I had excused pretty much every step of that entire process. I, I had rewritten a new story for that entire process to where I felt fine about it. Not only fine about it, almost good about it. Like, yes, that was good. Oh, yeah. It, she helped us end, she facilitate the end of the R relationship and all this stuff. Just like, what am I going to look, silver line am I going to look for here? Right. But finally, I'm, we're having this discussion about it. And it's like, wow, no, that was not okay. This was not okay. That was not okay. Mm-hmm. This was actually hor- a, a horribly irresponsible. And hurtful, right? Damaging. Person. Yes. Yeah. It was damaging it was, therapeutic experience. So, yeah, I, I was feel, starting to feel very angry about that. And, and it, it took me some false starts and, and I had to really sit with it to allow myself to feel that. Cause I remember clearly gaslighting myself when, when I started to feel it going like, Oh no, I can't now. Here come the excuses again. No, I can't. Right, feel, no, I'm not justified you, it, in this. It, right. Doing this. Yeah, I'm not justified in that, that whole fear of being angry and maybe having to take action. Yeah. Right. So you, you work through that, yeah. that you were justified, mm-hmm. you know, when we work through that together, again, yeah. it's helpful to have another person, yeah, yeah, and, sure. which was me in this case saying like, no, that's not okay yeah, for right. a therapist to do that. Right. But then also there was the fear was still there. Cause then also came mm-hmm. in. So we started to talk about taking down the Yelp review and replacing it with a more honest one. Yeah. And you had all this fear. What might she do? What could she do to yeah, me right. if I do that? Yeah, yeah. You know, like what kind of access does she have? Well, this is the same exact thing that every other time, like when I was going through the divorce with Jay and stuff like mm-hmm. we will maybe get into that in another episode, I'm sure. But yeah, just like what's going to happen? What are the re- repercussions of me expressing my emotion? Right, because everyone is more powerful than you. Right? Yeah, right? right. So taking any kind of action against someone else that you see is more powerful is, is scary. Yeah, so it's not like I'm sitting there, I don't have a right to express my emotion, but right. that's the effect, mm-hmm. right? That's effectively what I'm doing. No, everybody else's experience is more important. I need to honor that no matter what it is. I can't, I'm not allowed to be angry but you worked through that as well. Yeah, I worked through that and I, and I, I let it come back and, and I said, I need to respond to this somehow. So yeah, what I wound up doing was I didn't take down the review, but I went and did oh, an right. updated review right. on, on that. So, you know, you could still see the original and mm-hmm. say like, I have to update my review here and, you know, didn't go into specifics. And it wasn't, there was no name calling. There was yeah. no belittling her of her, right. you know, it was just straightforward. I didn't have a good experience. Yeah. This is Here's why. a few things that kind of generally what happened. And, and so I can no longer recommend this person, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was a very mature expression mm-hmm. of anger. You know, by the end of that, it felt good. It felt right. You know, mm-hmm. that and I, you felt powerful in, yeah. in, in a good way. Yeah. I didn't feel scared anymore. Once I, I put that, I was like, there we go. It's out. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like this podcast in a way. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Putting all this stuff out there. So that's what it kind of, yeah, again, building up capacity and then coming to this understanding of what was happening to mm-hmm. you when it was happening. And now what you're working on, mm-hmm. and this will take maybe the rest of your life. Yeah, right. <laughs> is is the mastery part. Yeah. Is right. As you're saying, that was kind of processing things that happened in the past, but now yeah. you're working on real-time processing. Real-time processing. Yeah. And, and it's... It's not always, I don't think it's easy for anyone, really, necessarily. It's, we don't always know exactly what we're feeling right when we feel it. Mm-hmm. So I forgive myself for not being perfect at it, but I'm a lot better than I was. I think initially, once we had this realization that I was talking about with the recognizing the trauma triggers and the shame triggers, it started to immediately get better, but it was still like, okay, maybe four hours instead of 24 hours. Um, but then it is in like, I'd still have a trigger. 
I kind of recognize that's what's happening, but I need to shut down still. And then later I'll process it or something, but it's becoming a lot more real time. And the more real time it gets, the less of these triggers I have just this, the safer I feel over the safer, not just with you, but safer with myself. Right. Because you feel that sense of power over your own internal life. I trust myself. I trust, trust my, my, my reactions to things. And that I'm that I have it right, you know that I that I'm recognizing the correct emotion and and what are some of your tools that you're using to master this, well, this real time process? I'm actually a lot of times I find myself doing those steps that I talked about that I stumbled upon when when we were talking about the, the realization of the trauma triggers where I'm feeling an emotion if it's an intense emotion I go okay this I'm I'm feeling something intense coming on here so I need to take a pause what is it that I'm feeling. To literally name it. Yes, literally name it. Name what's going on in my body. Name name what the emotion is. Mm-hmm. Try to separate it. So this, this happened recently. I just threw this out really quick. But I did this maybe a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, I was feeling mostly embarrassment, some guilt, some remorse, and a tiny bit of shame. Mm-hmm. So it was like kind of that kind of specific. That granularity, you know? yeah. Right. Yeah, and it was helpful for me, for me to do that because I was like, okay, what's the source of each of those? Like mm-hmm. what? What was causing each of these? Mm-hmm. It, were any of those justified? Mm-hmm. Well, yes. In some cases, they were. The, the little bit of shame was something that I don't think I fully processed yet. You know, mm-hmm. So, ah, what do I need to do to finish processing that? Things like that. So I move through the whole process and then respond. So if there is a response that needs to happen, then now I can take it from a position of like, well, okay, what, what, what actually happened here? Right. And what, which emotion is motivating the response, mm-hmm. which is... What really emotions are for? Yeah, they're the they're the part of us that motivates action. Yeah, and so like you were saying with that story with the with the study, I mean, without that, it's just like I can. I'm just trying to. I'm just mostly just making rationalizations, and that's yeah. what I did most of the time. It's mm-hmm. just like, okay, I've already buried the emotions. Now, what story can I write to make this okay? You know, it's mm-hmm. so easy at that point to compartmentalize. And it, it becomes almost impossible to act yeah. because you need some emotional content to your actions when yeah. you're motivated by, by anger or by fear or by guilt or by love. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just kind of paralyzed. Yeah, yeah. When you're making an action while you're still actually feeling the emotion, it's going to be a lot more sincere. And, mm-hmm. and then the real time thing, I don't give myself a chance to rewrite the story. You know? So if, if I don't let it get lodged somewhere beneath the surface and I have to write a story to get rid of it or something like that's really hard to go back and change that. Like I've, I've already screwed it up. But if I'm doing it real time, it's like, okay, I go, go through this process as quickly as possible before those things can happen. And the surprising and wonderful benefit that I've come to find is that the compartmentalization just went away. Right. You don't need any compartments because you're not, yeah. not stuffing anything into things. So, you know, this overwhelming thought of like, you know, when we start talking about these maladaptive behaviors, like, compartmentalization is like, oh, crap, I have to work on that too. How am I going to get rid of compartmentalization? No, I didn't have to work on that. It's, it's not as overwhelming necessarily as it sounds. Like certain things kind of take care of other things. So things like my depression too just kind of resolved itself because I'm not no longer this conflicted cognitive dissonance mess anymore. We talked about the compartmentalization as a response to try to bring order to a chaotic emotional landscape. Yeah. Yeah. So once the chaos diminishes as it has so substantially, yeah. because you're able to recognize and name and act on the emotions mm-hmm. as they happen, you don't need compartments right. anymore. I feel There's safe no in chaos. my own head now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the compartmentalization was an answer to being unsafe in my head and not feeling as though I could trust myself. 
and how I would react to things. Now that I'm able to incorporate my emotions into my life, it's like I have a, I'm have a whole person now at this point. Mm -hmm. And the other awesome benefit is this big picture thing that I avoided because I pretty much had to because it would always hit the fear wall constantly. Like I couldn't do three steps without hitting the fear wall. Now I'm able to think big picture. I can actually incorporate my personal values and, and things like that into my life. I'm not, I don't have these lingering demons of, of things that I'm not doing because I don't, I feel powerless. Being able to have a big picture view of your life is very empowering. Yeah, definitely. You just mentioned that when you were disconnected from your emotions, that the stories that you told yourself about your life were mostly just rationalizations. Mm -hmm. um, so the stories weren't about trying to understand your experience. They were about trying to distance yourself from shame and fear. Yeah, right. You would bury the emotions and then just rationalize away the whole situation. Rewriting those stories has been another major effort that has moved me along in my healing path. So we are going to spend the next episode discussing roles the stories played in keeping me stuck in dysfunction and the role they played in helping me free myself from that dysfunction. We hope you join us for that episode. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook by searching Codependent Mind. Codependent Mind.